Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As I mentioned at the start of the service, this is our final week, week 16, as we've walked through the story of the Bible in 16 verses, so that you don't misunderstand. Certainly not saying that those are the only 16 verses that are necessary, but that we're tracing some themes through the Bible that demonstrate how God carried out that plan of salvation. Over the course of the 16 weeks, we've seen themes like creation, like kingdom, like offspring or seed. We've seen substitution, redemption, and covenant. And today we're coming back to this idea of a new creation, of a new heaven and a new earth that we heard a few weeks ago in an Old Testament text from Isaiah. God is going to remind us today of his desire to live and dwell with us forever. One of the favorite things that I have an opportunity to do as a pastor is preside over weddings. Now, that might sound strange. If you talk to a lot of pastors, they might tell you that's not their favorite thing to do. But I actually enjoy it. And one of the things I enjoy most is that moment when the groom gets to see his bride walking down the aisle, dressed all to the nines, looking beautiful on the day of the wedding. And he realizes just for that moment what a tremendous blessing God has brought into his life. He knows that right then, at that moment, there is nothing more beautiful in all the world. Can I talk to husbands just for a minute? Do you remember? Do you remember that moment in your life? Do you remember that time and what you felt like? The wow factor? And of course, husbands, we know that our wives have only gotten more beautiful with time. But that one moment is kind of fixed in our minds, isn't it? I want you to have that picture in your head and you don't have to be a husband to understand that picture because that's what God calls you. That's what God calls me, his bride. A bride beautifully dressed for her husband and our husband is Jesus himself, the one who is willing to give up his life for him. That's the only way we can explain how God could say, yes, I want to live. I want to dwell with those people. It's through Jesus who gave himself for us. And so today we're, we're going to unpack these verses a little bit from Revelation 21 to see our future and how blessed that future is because our God wants to dwell with us and we will be dwelling with God forever. As we think about that theme, dwelling with God, let's note a couple of things. First of all, that it is God who has prepared this place for us. And then secondly, that that place is a glorious place. There are a lot of beautiful words in scripture, but maybe Revelation 21 sort of ranks up there with the most beautiful of all. Listen again, we read it earlier, just to the two, first two verses of Revelation chapter 21. This is John's final vision. He saw seven visions in the book of Revelation, and this is the vision of final victory. So here's how he describes what he's seeing. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. When Jesus ascended into heaven 40 days after his resurrection, it didn't take long for the disciples to understand that not everything was yet complete. After Jesus' ascension, immediately after his ascension, an angel said to the disciples, this same Jesus 
who you just watched go into heaven is going to come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Yes, Jesus' work on earth, his saving work was complete, but the story wasn't yet finished. Jesus is coming back, the angel said. He's coming back to finish what he started. Earlier, when we covered Isaiah 65, God made a prophecy through Isaiah about this new heaven, this new creation that was coming. That was our first glimpse, the first glimpse that God gave us of the eternal future that we are going to have through our Savior Jesus. But it was incomplete because the Messiah had not yet come. Jesus had not yet carried out God's plan of salvation. Though it gave a picture of final victory, it's John's vision that fills in even more the final victory that is ours through Jesus. It's God himself who wants to live and dwell with us. It's hard to believe that that's true, isn't it? That God wants to live with you and with me forever? And yet that's exactly what God promises is going to happen in this new heaven and this new earth. Again, only one way to explain how that's possible. We'll have a future with God that's uncorrupted by sin and all of its effects. And we will live in this new heaven and new earth unconcerned about all of the things that weigh us down in this life, all of the trials and tribulations, the pain and suffering that are a part of life in an imperfect world, they'll be gone forever in heaven. Maybe you share this experience of mine. I go back to my childhood and I think about discussions about heaven. And I'm just going to be honest with you, it wasn't necessarily my favorite picture maybe you can understand why. As I thought about heaven as a young boy, I thought about church. And as a young boy who couldn't sit still for more than five minutes, I couldn't understand how going to heaven was going to be something great and glorious if it was going to be like church. Maybe some of you can relate. That's why I love Revelation 21. Because God makes so clear that Boredom is not going to be present in heaven. It's not something that's going to be boring or something that is going to be a chore for us. Instead, it's going to be great and glorious. So difficult it is for John to describe what he's seeing in his vision that he uses more terms about what's not going to be in heaven. What marks heaven is what's not going to be there as much as what is going to be there. It's easier for him to describe it in those terms. Did you hear what he said? That when this new heaven and new earth comes, there will no longer be any sea? Maybe some of you are like, wow, I just maybe thought I'd be able to go fishing or sailing or boating or jet skiing or something when I get to heaven. Understand what John is saying. In John's day, those things didn't exist. And what the sea was in people's minds was this dark, dangerous place this place of the unknown. And so for John and the people who read his vision initially, sea equaled danger. And so what God is simply saying is that our time, our place in heaven is going to be safe and secure with no, nothing to stand in the way of God's protection and his love for us. John calls us what he sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem. We have to think about why God connects us, all believers, to Jerusalem. Well, that's the place where his temple was. 
and where his presence was in that temple. It was the site of the majority of Jesus' ministry, the place where Jesus went to the cross for us. And so Jerusalem really is a representation of all believers of all time. That's you and that's me. And then those beautiful words that we are God's bride, prepared, adorned, beautifully dressed. Maybe as I was talking about that earlier, you thought to yourself, well, how can God call us his bride? That's not who we are. I don't have to look very deeply into my own life to understand that I don't measure up to that kind of description of myself. When I think about the thoughts that go through my head, the words that come out of my mouth, the things that I do, I know that I'm not a bride of Jesus. I'm anything but. I know that my life is tainted by sin. I know my life is stained by a selfishness that only has my own best interest in mind and not the interests of others. And I'm sure you can relate. How can God call us his bride? You know, don't you? It's because we're dressed, not in our own righteousness, but in the robes of the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus took our place. It's Jesus who washed us clean in his own blood. The sin that stains us was taken away by the stains of blood on the cross of Jesus. And his righteousness is what God sees when he looks at us in the robes that Jesus gives us. Yes, we are that bride. And like a bride looks forward to her wedding day, God wants us to anticipate that day when Jesus is going to make us his own and, and bring us into that heavenly kingdom. All right, could I have a show of hands this morning? How many of you have ever been to a destination wedding? Raise your hand if you've been to a destination wedding. Okay, a few, not too many. I could probably go around and ask you where it was, but, but I won't do that. Am I right that usually destination weddings are taken in places that are very scenic, tropical maybe, or in the mountains, some beautiful, right? Because the goal is to make a very, very beautiful day even more beautiful by the setting in which it happens. Is it fair for me to say that God has invited you and me to a destination wedding? Only this destination isn't some tropical island or some beautiful scenic place in the mountains. This is God's new heaven and his new earth prepared for you and for me. And here's something even better. We aren't guests. We aren't just guests at this destination wedding. We're the bride. We're who that destination is all about. As Jesus brings us into that new heaven and new earth to live and dwell with us forever. Listen to the joy that John describes in verses 3 and 4 of Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. God's dwelling is now with people. We almost have to let that sink in just a bit, don't we? That's what God desires. That's what he wants to dwell with us. Sin has separated us from God, but through Jesus, we are once again people whom God sees as his very own. We've come full circle, haven't we? 
If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and creation, God walked in the garden. He was dwelling among his people. But sin changed all of that. And now, as God promises here through John's vision and revelation, we once again will be together, living with our Heavenly Father, the one who created us and also redeemed us. John makes very clear what the best part of heaven is all about. Now the dwelling of God is with people and he will live with them and they will be his people and he will be their God. We can't even describe, we can't even understand what that's going to be like to be in the presence of God. That word dwell is the Greek word for tabernacle or tent. And it would have drawn people's attention to the Old Testament tabernacle, that tent that moved along with the people that was the symbol of God's presence to his Old Testament people. In the same way, God is saying, yes, I'm going to live and dwell among my people in this new heaven and new earth that I've created. Again, maybe you heard as John is trying to describe what he's seeing, how he has to do it in terms of the absence of things in heaven. He says, in heaven there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Hard to imagine a life without the sin that affects this world. And all of the things that sin does in this world, its, it's effect on so many things that we do every single day, that's going to be completely gone. Sin and its effects will be completely expelled from this new heaven and new earth that God is preparing us for through Jesus. See, everything that we're hearing about here in Revelation 21 is the culmination of God's plan of salvation. This is what it was all leading to. When he promised to send a Savior way back in that garden to Adam and Eve, this was his vision. That his original creation that was perfect was going to be restored when Jesus came again. Beyond our comprehension, isn't it? To think about what life without sin will be like. How there could be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Things that we know all too well in this life. But God promises it. And because God promises it, we know that it's real. So God wants us to live it. He wants us to be filled, have hearts that are filled with the joy of knowing the life that awaits us with him. He wants to put a spring in our step. He wants us to live at peace and with complete confidence, knowing where we're headed. It's a message that we can use to encourage each other as well. It's exactly how the Apostle Paul wrote it in his letter to the Thessalonians. As he summarizes what's going to happen on the last day, he finishes his summary with this phrase, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Amazing to think about. And then he goes on, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Is there any better way for us to encourage each other than to remind each other what's coming, what Christ has done for us, and what it means for our eternal life to dwell with God forever? Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, Jesus treats us as his bride and desires to dwell with us. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul wrote about us as Christ's bride, being presented to God as someone without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Secondly, heaven is a place that will be absent of all the things that cause pain and sorrow. It's why Paul could write in Romans chapter 8, 
that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Finally, number three, we will be together with our God in unending and glorious peace, love, and joy. The Apostle Paul spoke of this too in his letter to the second letter to the Corinthians when he said, Our light and momentary troubles achieve for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes, not on the here and now, but on what's to come, because that will be glorious forever. Last weekend, I had a chance to visit with a family friend of ours uh, who is, she's been struggling with cancer for the better part of a year. And she's been receiving treatment, and the treatment, I would say, has received mixed results. Some of the chemotherapy has been working with some fairly serious side effects, and so lots of adjustments to medication have been going on. And, and as I stood and talked to her, I wanted to bring her some comfort from God's Word. And then I thought, as so often happens at the end of the conversation, that I got way more blessings out of the conversation that I could ever have brought her. Because here's what she said to me. She said, I want to live every day. Every day with the joy that God gives me. Today, tomorrow, whatever days he has left for me. But if Jesus comes to take me home, I just get to glory that much sooner. And I thought, what an attitude. What an attitude to adopt as she's staring potential death in the face. And then I thought, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Philippians. When he wrote this, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what you and I have to look forward to. Whatever comes in this life, whatever troubles we face here, they can't take away the glory that is waiting for us. And getting to glory is what this life is all about. And best of all, it's our bride, or our groom, Jesus, waiting for his bride at that point, to live with us forever. Yes, we will dwell with our God for eternity. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.